Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the news from the nerds, your weekly favorite news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. I'm Bridge Kisby. I hope you are all doing well. Coming up on today's show, and we have an absolute banger, Sam is going to get very angry. Grace is going to take us to Vegas. Abby's going to talk F2, and James will try and suppress my excitement that Ferrari are officially back. James, I'll throw to you first. How are you, buddy? I'm all right. I imagine not quite as good as you, though. I am absolutely fantastic. Honestly, I'm still bouncing off the walls from Sunday. It's been it's been brilliant. Abby, how are we? I'm good. We've got a lot of news to go through, and I'm sitting here with my McLaren mug, and I don't know if I made the right choice considering how McLaren performed, and you're a Ferrari fan, so I'm a bit wary about that. It is quite embarrassing. I have a Lego McLaren on the wall behind me, and that one's actually quicker than the one was that was at, um, at Bahrain last weekend. So, so yeah. God. Um, oh, a classic joke. To a start classic with. joke. There we go. Grace, how are we? We haven't we haven't caught up in a spell. I'm good. Do you know what? We haven't had a chance to talk about our house predictions. Obviously, it's not going to be Mazepin for world champion, but house is back, baby. House so is back. Excited. Loving it. And finally... It makes up for McLaren. It does. It does. And finally, I've got to introduce... He's good. Your name is now. is now Super Sub Sam, isn't it? Super Sub. You're going to have to step up all the time now. I know. Good afternoon. I know you might have noticed there's five of us this week. Uh, but yeah, also, Bridge, I do just need to comment. It looks like that McLaren's coming out the side of your head. So I just move that way a little bit. Actually, no, I'll block it. No one wants to see that thing. But um, but anyway, Sam, we'll stick with you. We'll stick with you. Do you want an intro to your rant, or are you just going to go? Are you, so should you just take it away? I'll, I'll intro myself. You know, this is a okay. news uh, podcast after all. Okay. Um, so if you are, you know, on socials, if you follow, you know, F1 News through the week, as I imagine you probably do, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to us now, um, you would have seen that on Wednesday morning, there was a Sky Sports um, tweet um, on the subject of the calendar. 
and F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali has suggested that there could be 30 races on the calendar. It's left somewhat ambiguous, but we'll get into that in a minute. He also said that they would be looking at Africa and Vegas, and Vegas could be a race as early as 2023. So let's start with, you know, Return of Africa, you know, return of Africa to the calendar potentially, um, and also Vegas. Um, so I'll kick off on Vegas. They've said it's a night race, and I'm not sure how that would work because a night race in Vegas on a Sunday would mean for European audiences that's essentially what Monday morning, even late for you, James, in Paris. So yeah, it seems like an odd one, um, guys. What are your thoughts on the Vegas in, in Africa specifically? I think it's interesting because obviously Formula E has gone to Africa maybe next year, was it? 2023? That was a few weeks ago. So obviously the demand is there for single-seaters. But also Vegas, we've been to Vegas before. We had obviously had like Caesars Palace and not in my lifetime because I'm still quite young. (laughs) But yeah, it should be exciting. I know Danny Rick wants to go there and the Americans will love Danny Rick going there and being in Vegas. God, it's just like his hometown. He'll love it. It's his second home. But it'll be crap for us Europeans. And I'm going to be European and arrogant. I want to be watching F1 at a normal time. I think the problem is Formula One's in a bit of an economic boom at the moment where, you know, every country wants a slice of the pie. And that's what, you know, that's what that's what F1 is trying to do now to go to every single country in the world, get as many races as you can in there. Is it great for the sport? I don't think so. I think we're at 20. I think we're at the perfect place at 20. I don't know what you guys think. Also, is it great for the environment? F1's trying to become economical. It's got the most efficient engine. It's trying to promote really good fuel consumption, but it's not the most environmental, especially if you're going to like Vegas, then to Australia, then to Africa. It's not it's not doable or efficient. Yeah, I think if we saw the return of Vegas, I think like we've all said, for the us European visit for us European viewers, it won't be that good in timing wise. However, I think it could be quite exciting, especially if it was a street circuit going along part of the strip that I know has been speculated to do. But yeah, with 30 races. One, sustainability, and two, with the drivers and the mechanics and engineers and everyone involved, how would they even get 30 races into one year? I mean, 23 is a push, I think. I think it was very tiring this season. So to have 30, I think 22 is enough, let alone 23 and 30. Yeah, I mean, you know, like when I was growing up, it was always there was a race at best every two weeks, you know, and quite often you'd have to wait three. There were very rarely double headers and now i mean if there were 30 races if factoring in a three month winter break and a one month one month summer break that's almost one almost one a week that's madness and yeah like you say is the mechanics are stretched it's the mechanics who do get it hardest you know the drivers and the team bosses get their private jets and they can at least you know get out quickly they don't have to stay there and break things down yeah you know they've got families at home and it's it's at the limit now, like like Bridge said, I think twenty is about right. Twenty two, sure, but I mean, I don't know what happened. It it was twenty five. I remember being the the supposed limit that was mentioned, like I swear, a year ago. 
Well, exactly. 25 has always been kind of said as the kind of, you know, this, it won't go higher than this. And even that is ridiculous. So like, you know, if you look back at the, the history of the calendar, you know, especially when I was growing up in the kind of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, it was around 16. And then I think it was about 2000, I think it was 17. But there were no double headers. But I also noticed earlier when I was looking at it, and, and credit to Rich, our, our social media um, guru, king, um, champion, uh, whatever you want to call him, um, for pointing this out. But there was no summer break that year either. So that doesn't look sustainable to me. Um, and obviously it's increased, increased, increased. Um, so yeah, it's, there's just, I just don't see how that can work. Um, before I kind of go full rant, Grace, do you want to jump in? Because it looks like you want to say something. Yeah, honestly, because we were talking about this earlier and James, you said about the mechanics and their families and all that. The poor sod who's got to do the logistics. It's already a logistical nightmare. I'm not sure if anyone's watched that video on YouTube and it like goes into detail. It, it's tight. And we've seen people get stuck. I think it was like with Istanbul last year. There was freight stuck. And like Haas, even on the way to testing, got stuck. So... And that's just in the early days with no races before testing. So 30 races a year or 25 or whatever. If someone messes up, they're going to feel so crap if their team can't even get like an hour of practice in because that puts them at a disadvantage. We know practice is important as we've seen from Daniel Ricciardo's sad performance this week. Like you need your practice. So you'd feel so bad. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think... The only way this works is if you have rotating staff. So that would see what I assume two, you know, every team having two groups. So you do 15 races a season, which is a mu- is much more sustainable in terms of a burnout or, you know, you know, from a human perspective. So that should be supported anyway. I think we're already kind of, you know, as we've already said, 22, 23 races is already ridiculous for, for those guys. But also... If I was sitting on the sideline for one every two races, I'd, I'd hate that if I was, I was working the front line. So you've also got to think about journalists who, who follow the sport, fans, like I can say for definite, and I haven't mentioned it to her yet, but my girlfriend will not be pleased. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot to consider there. The only way I can really see it working would be 10 triple headers across 40 weeks of the year. And then you've got, you know, so yeah, is is that's madness in itself. Um, but what I think is probably more likely, and what a lot of people have suggested, is a rotating calendar. Um, so, guys, what are your thoughts on a rotating calendar? How could that work? I think a rotating calendar would much be much better than rotating staff in a personal sense. Because imagine if you're like Esteban Ocon's mechanic, and you're you're um, you're off the week that he wins in Hungary. You're gonna feel crap. You, you'll want to be there and celebrate, and then you'll be like, oh, "Why? Why doesn't he win when he's with me?" Like, you'll start questioning things. So, from a personal level, it'll be crap. But then a rotating calendar for countries as well, because that's like a lack of tourism. If their tourism really relies on F1, and then I'm not sure if this is true, but we were talking about Spa being taken off, or imagine Spa not being there every year, or Monaco not being there every year. Like, it's I'm going to say it's disgusting for the history. Not sure if that's a bit strong. I think for me, the big issue is that it's clearly the sport is beholden to shareholders, right? And I just look now and Liberty Media, like the F1 kind of 
um, stock price kind of, I think it's separated on the uh, on the US stock market, which is still trading because it's obviously a few hours behind. It's up like, it's like up 11 or 12% today. So clearly, you know, there's some tie in there. People are thinking that like, more races, you know, more revenue, more profits. So I think it comes at a, a, a real cost to the sport, um, which doesn't sit particularly well with me. I think it's what we've been saying for the past God knows how many podcasts about Drive to Survive and it's like making it more of a show and a spectacle. This is that on steroids. Like if you're trying to hit 30 different countries or like 28, if you have two races in America, it's like, it's ridiculous. I think we're very lucky as Europeans that we have races close to us and I get trying to branch out a bit more and go to different areas of the world, but it's still like, it's too much. It ruins the sport. And can I just say, I don't know why Liberty Media is trading so highly because Drive to Survive season four, it was so bad. So I'm pr- I'm impressed that they're trading so high. Well, yeah, well, I think we'll, I think we've, Grace has covered it all now. I think we'll move swiftly on. Um, do you know what? I haven't actually sat down and discussed with you guys the, the fallout from this weekend. As a Tafoti fan, you can only imagine that I'm elated. Um, James, how do you feel? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty elated too, to be honest. Uh, I mean, Sam and I were have obviously covered this in great length, about two hours on the uh, the Sunday podcast. Uh, but there's still plenty to talk about, and we'll be interested to see what you guys think. Aside from Bridge, which is obvious, and Abby, which is kind of obvious too. But it's uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was exactly what I said on on Sunday. Was it was exactly what I needed to fall back in love with F1. I was really worried that Red Bull were going to run away with it, and Max was just going to dominate because you know it's at least when we had Merck domination, it was Lewis versus Nico. I mean, even Valtteri could keep him honest on his day. I just, if it was Max and Checo, it's it's Max, isn't it? So I, I kept waiting for Ferrari to fall back and they just, they they didn't. It was great. And it looks like we've got a proper battle. There's a good chance that the Mercs could pull themselves back into it if they sort out their their issues. And yeah, it looks like the, the, red, the new regs may actually have the effect that they were supposed to have. I mean, well, yeah, what do you guys, what did you guys make of it? Okay, so as a McLaren fan, I'm very sad because McLaren did not do well at all. We all know that. They have a lot of improvement to make. However, as a fan of the sport, I loved it. I loved seeing cars that weren't up high on the grid last year being there, like Magnussen, he finished fifth. I loved seeing the Haas there and Bottas as well. I know we've all given him a bit of stick in the past about not being that great. But he got an alpha into sixth and he outqualified Russell, who was in a Mercedes. And one thing I particularly liked was the battle between Leclerc and Verstappen and seeing them fight for the lead. And then I must say, when Verstappen and Perez both DNF'd, I screamed in happiness, which will annoy Cal because I know he's a massive Max and Red Bull fan. But I was so happy to see Lewis on the podium and a Ferrari one too. So for me... F1 is back. I'm glad you mentioned Bottas, Abby, because if you haven't listened to the podcast, a little spoiler for you. And if you've ever listened, if you've ever listened to any of our podcasts before (laughs) and thought that guy really hates Bottas, like what's he ever done to him? 
I gave Bottas my driver of the day because of because of the recovery, because of the composure. I thought I thought he was brilliant, and he is actually now compensating. If anything, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, and and he's actually now come out and, and explained the start. Apparently, Alpha have some real issues, mechanical issues with their starts at the moment, which means about half the time they can't get a clean getaway, and it also um, affected Zhou Guanyu. So, yeah, I thought I think he had a really good you know a really good Sunday after the start, obviously, which now appears wasn't necessarily his fault. You're definitely compensating for when Bottas becomes world champion and you're like, oh, I need to be nice. Um, I thought it was a great race as a neutral fan. I know my dad's quite neutral and we watched it together and he was loving it. He was doing his work and kept looking up every time um, Max and Charles got down to the first corner again after that like, continuous battle. Obviously, I'm a Pierre Gasly fan. It was heartbreaking. I'm on a delay when I watch F1 and you were all like, Pierre, Grace, oh no. And I was like, no, he's fine. You're just messing with me. He was on for some good points, but no, he really did. His engine did cut out and he nearly went on fire. So that was fun. As a Red Bull, like a minor Red Bull fan, it wasn't great. As a big McLaren fan, it was awful. But as an F1 fan, it was bloody brilliant. And shout out to Joe Guanyu. He got points on his F1 debut. I think that's pretty special. Because especially in Alfa Romeo, not many people expected it from him. And especially with all the debate about who should take that seat, whether it should be like Oscar Piastri or Calamilo even, or Rick Schumacher moving from Haas. I think he proved them all wrong. He wasn't my top choice to go to Alfa Romeo, but I'm so happy he got points on his debut because I think it's great for the sport. One thing that I kind of came away with, okay, and you know, you know, I'm a bit of a hot take specialist on this show, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna earn my rep here a little bit. All right, I came away with three big hot takes. The first was about Pierre Gasly. I'm sorry, Grace, but because this is his chance, this is his year at getting that Red Bull seat. I think we'll see him crumble a little bit. I think, I think we'll see the pressure start to get to him because he didn't have the greatest weekend, you know. He, might, this might be a different car, but I don't think whenever, whenever Pierre has been in a very high pressure situation, he tends to crumble. So I that is the, true because because the seat is up for grabs. I mean, I he think, held. Um, no, he held off Carlos for the win in in Italy. That was quite high pressure. I mean, no, because he's in an Alpha Tauri that's not supposed to win. He's not supposed to win in an Alpha Tauri, is he? <laughs> All right, Bridge is just trying to keep it one hundred. I'm just trying to keep it 100. me. James? Can I, can I give oh, that sorry, now? Man. Can I give my take? Go on, go on. Okay. I'll let you come back. Go on. I think it's a very different car because I have noticed, barring last year, he was in what, like P5 and got into Q3 on mediums. Like, it is pretty fantastic, especially in a not top two car. And yeah, the pressure's on. Also, I do think it's a different car. It's clearly, the engine is not great reliability speed could be better because i mean rebel are taken away with speed they just can't make it to the end of a race so yeah give him a bit of time bridge give him a bit of time it'll prove you wrong and i don't think he's going to get that rebel seat i think he's going to mark i really do just quickly before you go bridge and i i can see you kind of winding yourself up here to go we keep on mentioning that it's you know quite a different car it's a completely different car like there is, 
fair reason that that AlphaTauri could have taken a step backwards. The regulations have changed so drastically. So he could be outperforming his AlphaTauri as I, I suspect he was last year. And this is, and he's driving to his maximum. So it's way too early to tell if he's uh, if he's up to it this year. I suspect he is because he's been so good the last couple of years. He majorly outperformed that car last year. And I'm going to say this now. He was beating Daniel Ricciardo in a very good McLaren at one point in the standings. So, and I'm a Danny fan. I'm not going to shit on him. But yeah, yeah, for the win. He, he's going to surprise you, Bridge. I promise. Well, I won't, I won't hold my breath. But anyway, I'll move on. I'll move on to my second one. I think, and I think the duel between Verstappen and Leclerc showed this. Verstappen will be a one-time world champion. That will He'll end his career as a one-time world champion. I don't think he'll win another one. The way he raced against Charles after just coming off winning a world title against a seven-time win, winner, Lewis Hamilton, he showed no composure. He showed no race IQ. He showed he, racecraft. He didn't show any of it. He just launched it down the inside every single time like Max does. And Charles read him. Charles read him like a book. Made him, made him into, you know, forced him into stupid tire decisions, and I think, you know, disregarding what happened to him in the end, I think that will haunt him all season because um, he'll have to, he'll have to be forced to try and retain that world championship position, and I don't think he's going to be able to. Yeah, I agree with you. I can't see Max winning another world championship, and. With that battle with Leclerc, Leclerc was really smart and he thought out his manoeuvres on overtaking. And there were times when Verstappen, like Grace just put in the chat on here, he did act a bit like a brat. He did throw his toys out the pram and complain, why couldn't I push on the outlap? You told me not to push, but I wanted to. And I feel like Max is one of those drivers who gets very aggressive and very angry and lets his emotions rule him over logic and intelligence and I don't think he'll get another world championship I mean I don't really like the guy anyway um but I don't think he will well it's nice to it's nice to actually uh be agreed with Abby to be honest um but I will make my first one very very short and sweet and I'll I'll leave it on a bit of a cliffhanger okay for you guys to discuss another time because we've got to move on I believe in 2022 Haas will get more podiums than Mercedes. All right, moving on. I knew it was coming. I love it. <laughs> moving on. Our bridge going out in fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving on. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that one day. Uh, and just, yeah, have to, you'll have to listen to that podcast. Has anyone got a pen? I need to write this down. Yeah, write, write it down. I mean, it it's down. on the internet forever, man. It's fine. Yeah, it's, it's on the internet. You can refer back to this podcast whenever you want. I thought I you believe... were going to say McLaren. No, I believe... No, that's, that's, that's not a hot take. That's a given. Just we'll take it on the chin and realise that that's fair enough. We'll come back but, next sorry. year and we'll improve a lot better next year and be in the title fight in 2023 instead. All right, well, that's, that's what Haas has been saying for the last, like, six years, but it's fine. So, yeah, to, quickly to cover the fallout of Bahrain, uh, obviously there's, we, we still don't know if Seb is going to be back in time for Saudi Arabia. That's, there's no news on that yet. We've still got 
Mercedes trying to figure out their issues and we've still got Red Bull investigating apparently their engine, whether or not it is an engine issue. So it's kind of no news rather than news a bit at this point. But uh, it's yeah, they're definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Have you guys got any predictions about Red Bull? That's the only thing I'll ask before we move on. Do you think it's going to be a terminal or was it a, a one-off? I don't think it's going to be terminal. I think you could see it happening maybe a couple of times, but I think they'll get it sorted pretty pretty early. And after Bridge and Abbey's declaration that Max Verstappen won't win another world title, he's almost certain to win it this year, isn't he? Uh, so thank you very much for that, guys. It's, str- it's strange for Red Bull. I, I, said this, I said this when they announced that they'd start building their own engines. I said they'd have reliability issues. And that, unfortunately, that has come true for Red Bull. Because, you know, you've got, even if you put the best mechanics in one room, yes, they've produced a very, very powerful engine. But on the first go round, nothing's ever extremely reliable. So, and I think, I think that's going to be the problem for them this year. Maybe if they get their act together and sort it out by the halfway stage, then we'll have a title battle on our hands. But as solid as Ferrari are looking, I I don't think you can discount them as the favourites at this point. They are still working with Honda, which I think is interesting because obviously you don't get it right on your first time around. But Honda are known. They're so reliable. Well, well, recently. Their commercial cars are really reliable. They were reliable with Red Bull, so I'm sure that they'll be able to work through the issue. I will always say this, never count Red Bull out. Mr. Horner always has something up his sleeve, whether it's some crude comments or actual talent. He's gonna he's gonna bring it back. So we'll see. We'll see. But I think this might not be the end for Red Bull. I think they're gonna come back. Obviously, not mentioning McLaren and Honda days, they were a bit different. Yeah, especially since lots of Mercedes mechanics and engineers and that have actually gone to Red Bull for this season as well. I was a bit surprised to see Red Bull have such bad reliability issues that did cause both cars to DNF. And for the engineers in that to say to Max, like they couldn't see an issue with his steering and with the car, but Max could. I was surprised that they couldn't see that actually. It could it could just be a grand from sabotage from it could it could just be a grand sabotage, couldn't it, from Mercedes. Toto's let a few of his engineers go. Conspiracy. And they've messed yeah, up. Yeah, just the, the bad ones. Yeah. And like, just, yeah, he's, oh no, don't take him. Oh no. Oh, that's oh, <laughs> gutted. Gutted. Gave him, gave him a great reference and then said, yeah. Yeah, oh no, he's, he's amazing. That one. No, Dave, he's awesome. Yeah. Get him in there. But, um, but yeah, obviously F1 wasn't the only thing on the calendar, was it this weekend, Abby? No, Formula 2 and Formula 3 were all back. So it was a very full motorsport weekend. I know. I don't think I did anything apart from sit down in front of the TV and watch motorsport. So with Formula 3, there is over half the grid being rookies. And we saw Isaac Hajar win the sprint on Saturday. And we saw Franco Colapinto, who is a rookie, get pole as well. Unfortunately, he did not win the feature race, but Victor Martins, who was there, and he's the highest returning driver win as well. And with F2, there has been some news after the race that has caused some, how should I say, controversy from what happened as well. So on the feature race on Sunday, we saw Thierry Pocher, who is suspected to be 
one of the title contenders, if not the title contender, and win it. He won. But Liam Lawson came second, and he is a Red Bull junior driver. And Juri Vips, who had an amazing start and took the lead, came third and got P3. Now, during the race, there were a couple of errors with the pit stops. There was Dennis Hauger from Formula 3. He is in Formula 2. And when he was in his pit stop, his car had three tyres. One of the tyres came off and it rolled down the pit lane. And Caelan Williams also had the same issue, so the pit lane had to be closed. And then, on track, Richard Vershaw was battling Roy Nissany and Logan Sargent. Now, it was great to see a battle. There was a lot of on-track action. But Richard Vershaw has come out afterwards and he tweeted on Twitter that Roy Nissany should not have a licence and that he did some very dangerous driving. What are your guys' thoughts on that tweet? Yeah, I mean, I think Roy Nissany has been taking up a seat for far too long now. Like, it's that's obviously a pretty inflammatory tweet to send out about a, a fellow driver. Um, yeah, I'm quite surprised to see that. But he's been around a long time, oh, old Roy, and he's not done a lot with it. He's got he yeah, he's had some practices sessions as well with Williams, hasn't he? And I don't think he's ever got anywhere near the podium even. So yeah, uh, I don't. He should probably have a license. I think that's that's a little harsh, but I don't think he should be on the grid anymore. Yeah, it was certainly a uh, a controversial um, part of the race, and you know, controversial tweets as well. So I'm sure that will come up over the weekend as uh, F2 uh, goes to Jeddah with F1. Um, so you can catch all of that there um, if those guys are in the uh, in the press conferences. But for me, the standout performance of the weekend was Arthur Leclerc in F3. He didn't perform. He didn't qualify particularly well on the Friday evening, but he had a brilliant sprint race and an even better feature race where he worked his way through the field from 13th and finished second. So yeah, credit to him. Clearly takes after uh, his older brother. Um, so we'll see how his career progresses from here. So whilst Formula 1, Formula 2 and Formula 3 happened over the weekend, we are still having to wait until May in Miami for W Series. However, the lineup for W Series has been confirmed and it has five new rookies. So we have Teresa Babakova, Bianca Bustamante, Chloe Chambers, Emily the Haas and Juju Noda joining the incredible team that includes the likes of Abby Pulling, Fabian Wallen, Jamie Chadwick and all other names I am sure you've heard of. However, Arena Skidorkova and Abby Eaton are not returning this season. Abby Eaton obviously is still recovering from her accident in Kota last year. But apparently 2022 will be the strongest W Series season yet, which I'm really looking forward to. I love W Series personally. So for it to be the strongest, I'm in, I'm expecting a lot of battles and some very good title fights this season. Yeah, for sure. It'll be it'll be great to see it kick, kick off in May. Like I, I, I personally feel that... Um, you know, other series often bring better racing than um, than F1. So it'd be good to see how that you know translates to the Miami track for sure. And if you keep listening, here is a special exclusive interview that I had the privilege of conducting with Andy Amendola, who is the founder and creator of Red Racer Books, a project for all motorsport fans, kids and adults, which you should definitely check out. So head over to redracerbooks.com 
to get more info on that and continue listening to this interview. I'm very excited to be here with you today, Andy, because of your project, Red Racer Books. So to start with, how are you? And do you want to just tell us a bit about your project? Sure, I'm I'm doing great. Um, I'm actually on a ski holiday right now. Uh, because it's our kids' spring break. So I'm talking to you from Colorado, which is pretty <laughs> cold. Uh, but I'm from Miami. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 40. I have wife, two kids. And um, I decided to write a book about Formula One for kids. Um, you know, it's a long story of how I got there. But it's a, it's called The ABCs of Racing. And it's meant to be a beginner's guide to Formula One racing. And it's the ABCs. But it's not a typical ABC board book. It's um, pages, and each page has a new racing term with explanations about it. And it's really exciting. It's great for kids of three to eight year olds, but I also made it fun for adults too. So um, I'm really excited about it, and I really can't wait to get it out in the world. So on your website, you said that you started watching F1 and Drive to Survive quite recently, actually. So with the inspiration for the book, how quickly did the thought develop into essentially what is the A to Z guide of racing? So it was a long time in the making, and I think it was a perfect storm type of uh, sequence of events that really made it come to life. So Drive to Survive was definitely the spark. You know, it ignited the passion for F1. You know, growing up in the U.S., uh, F1 isn't really that big. You know, it's a high barrier to entry type sport. Um, So Drive to Survive, you know, got us into it. And me and my wife both binge watched the first three seasons and we fell in love immediately after we looked at each other and said, when is the next race? We got to start watching. (laughs) So first it was Drive to Survive. And then we started watching the season. Uh, At that point, when we finished binging, it was Monaco was the first race. So we missed the first, you know, five races. But after that, you know, we had our Sunday race day ritual where we watched with the entire family. Um, I also watched every quali and most practices too. (laughs) Um, And you know how amazing that season was. So it was like, if this is, this is what it's like, this is amazing, you know? So I started becoming obsessed with it. Then I started, you know, getting into content. So I, you know, just listened to podcasts, listen, uh, watched YouTube videos. And um, I just, I started looking for books to share with my kids. There really wasn't anything out there. Um, so that was like the seed of the idea, you know? Um, and then they announced the race in Miami, which is our hometown. So I grew up, you know, I grew up in Miami, lived in New York for a while, but we live in Miami. That's where, uh, you know, and then as soon as that happened, I was like, wow, this is, this is fate. There's going to be a race here. This is, you know, it just kind of added to the, you know, fueling of my passion. Uh, And then a friend of mine added me to a WhatsApp group with about 50 other F1 obsessed fans from Miami. And I like that just kept it going. Every, you know, race, the chat was on fire. I quickly learned a lot. There was a lot of more veteran fans. I'm a new generation fan, uh, what you might call DTS, generation DTS. <laughs> um, and then I decided to go to the race in Austin. And um, because a good friend of mine moved to Austin, I was planning on visiting him anyways, and just ended up booking tickets to go to the race. You know, I'd been locked up for two years, you know, under the pandemic. So I was like, yeah, let's like, let's do it. Um, and I think that was the tipping point for me. 
actually going to a race, seeing the whole show up close and personal, the cars, the drivers, all the people, everyone I met was basically a new fan, you know, first time race or they just started watching. And I saw a lot of people, you know, from Latin America coming too. So, you know, every, like half of the uh, people wearing Red Bull jerseys were Checo fans (laughs) and they had all just come to watch the race too. So I, you know, at that point I realized this is starting to take off in the U S and I was like, I have to speed it up. Let's just make this happen. And it turned in, you know, originally it was one book idea and then it became a series of books. Um, And then I just kind of peddled the met, you know, uh, pedal the metal to like really get the book out there. And uh, yeah, it, so it was a long process, um, but all those kind of things just kind of accelerated it, um, you know, and um, and here we are. So you say it's been a long process. What has been the biggest challenge on this journey so far to creating Red Racer books? I think the biggest challenge was just really sticking to the plan. Um, so um, because I wanted to do the book right, um, and but I also wanted to get it done before the the Miami race. Um, I had to take a self publishing route, and you know I don't come from publishing; that's not what I do. Um, so I had to learn a lot. Um, and self publishing has pros and cons. On one hand, you get full control of the product, which is what I wanted, but you also assume all the risks. So you have to, you know pay up front for everything, buy the books without knowing if they're going to sell or how much it's going to take to sell them. So, um, you know, I, I have total faith in it, but you know, every once in a while you get that, that nagging doubt that comes in, like what, what if this doesn't work or, you know, what if people don't like it, you know? So just because it was so much of my own work having to stick with this, um, you know, that was the hardest part, you know, just, just sticking with it and, and realizing it's worth it and and keep going and believe in yourself. So that, I think that was the hardest part. <laughs> well, I must say, I have, I've been going through your YouTube videos, your Instagram, your website, and I have seen some of the pages of the artwork and of the different words. Now you have, it's in ABCs of racing, but it's also the ABC de Carreras in the Spanish version. Was it difficult coming up with, different words because obviously some words in English they don't they're not the same letter of the alphabet at the beginning as in Spanish like engine or driver it's not the same so was that difficult coming up with the different words at all yeah it was a lot more difficult than I expected um you know the first book was actually I sat with my kids and we went through the alphabet when we pick the letters ourselves. We're like, what should we do for A, aerodynamics, apex, you know, and we went through the list and we had backups for most of the words. X was the only word that is really hard. There's really nothing that I could do. there. Um, But then when I went to translate into Spanish, I was like, whoa, no, all the words are like, there's like a few letters that have like five words. And then there's like a ton of letters that have no words. So there was a lot of gaps to fill. And that, that took me a long time. um, Actually, um, one of the hardest was W because it's not a, a natural word. Uh, there's no natural or native words in Spanish or Latin that start with W. Yeah. Um, so that one, for example, was, was the toughest. Luckily, an editor of mine suggested Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi, as we say it in <laughs> Spanish. Um, and that worked perfectly because it brought in my Roxy the Engineer character and it spoke to the team uh, teamwork aspect of it, which I love. But yeah, 
the translation process took a while, um, but it's definitely worth it because I've gotten a lot of feedback about how it's great for the bilingual you know, families that want to teach their kids Spanish so they can see it. And it's kind of cool that there's about 10 or so different illustrations in each book. So um, I think that makes it interesting. Yeah. And with the illustrations, I know your illustrator was Y. Ren. Am I saying his name correctly? Yeah, Wei Ren, yeah. Yeah, and the artwork is amazing. So did you like leave it up to him with it? Or did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted the tracks and the cars to look like? I know you've taken some inspiration from actual tracks on the calendar as well. Yes. So thanks for saying that. I mean, I was super fortunate to find Wei Ren. He, his artwork is amazing. Um, and... You know, I had a vision of what I wanted in my mind, but, you know, bringing that to life because I'm not an artist is, is hard. So I knew what I wanted. So it took a while to figure out and find the right person. And and he was totally perfect. Um, but I did have a lot of input. So I, I come from an advertising world and, and we create mood boards, um, for example. So what I did is I, you know, pulled a bunch of reference images of what I wanted, like the style to look like, what the characters could look like. I yeah. even pulled liveries and tracks to give him, you know, I want, you know, I want, let's feature some of these things in here, kind of as Easter eggs, more for the parents even. So like, oh, they can recognize that. They recognize, uh, you know, that's Silverstone or that's Coda and things like that. Um, so I did have a, a good amount of input into it. Um, but his design style was exactly what I wanted. And as soon as he did A for aerodynamics, um, I knew exactly, you know, that's that's the A for aerodynamics. And once I saw that, I was like, yep, he got it. He knows what he's doing. That's that's let's go. Um, you know, um, and it what's funny story is he's in China, uh, he doesn't speak English. We communicate entirely via email. Um, but it was his first book, and it's my first book. And we worked really well in spite of all that, the language barriers and the time zone issues. Um, and it was a great learning experience. So I owe a lot to him. You know, the illustrations are what I'm you know, most proud of and I, and I can't even take credit for it. So, um, but it was a, it was a team effort uh, and I'm excited about how it came out. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So is there a favorite page in the book of yours, either for the word or for the illustrations? Or do you just love all of it so much? I do love all of it. Um, but there, <laughs> I think, and I'll show you, I have to say W is my favorite um, because going to Coda, that being my first F1 race at the USGP, you know, it was really um, inspiring for me. It was a turning point for me. And, you know, you, it features the tower there and it speaks to um, aerodynamics, which is one of my favorite concepts, at least in the English book. That's, And then in the Spanish books, it is Wi-Fi, the one that was really hard to find. <laughs> um, but that illustration came out great too, because it, you know, it showcases that it's not just the driver. You know, there's a whole team of people um, behind the driver that are working on it. And it's, you know, through Wi-Fi and the communications that are super important, you know? Uh, so those are some of my favorites, but it, it's really hard to, to choose my, oh, I forgot to mention this, but my, my inspiration was vintage racing posters. So, you know, I can picture like the Monaco race posters from years ago. And then, and, and then when I started getting into F1, Last season, I realized teams still did that. And I was amazed by them. So I was like, 
this is kind of, you know, the style that I want to emulate. I want every page in the book to look kind of like a poster or something, um, you know, something special. And, um, you know, so I love them all, but yeah, those, those, I think the W's are are some of my favorites. (laughs) And on that page, it had Roxy, the engineer, one of the characters alongside Red Racer. And when I was looking at Red Racer books, I loved the whole, it's very inclusive and diverse with including like multilingual and multicultural as well. And I know you want to branch out into other languages and, as you said, create a series. So do you feel like you've got a good balance of diversity and everything in the first book? Or do you feel like there's more you could do for the series? So definitely not. We're, we're just scratching the surface on book one. Um, you know, it's an ABC book. It's nonfiction. Um, so there's not much character development I can do. Um, we have them in there to show representation, but really book two, which is already in the works, um, you know, has them speak up more. Um, you hear more about, you know, what interests them. Um, and so those there's going to be a lot more in that in that second book and the series as it go, as it grows um that's important to my mission um it's one of my you know core values it's one of the things i really liked about you know the sport you know seeing lewis hamilton with his foundation seeing sebastian vettel do you know the women only karting event in saudi arabia uh and then when i was at coda i stayed and watched the w series race um, which was really interesting. And they are the, they're also opening up the season in Miami. So I'm going to take my kids to see that. Um, you know, so I want to make sure it's inclusive and diverse. Um, and the characters are part of it. Um, and the languages will also be part of it. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten requests already to, to do a translation in Portuguese. I've gotten requests to do it in Arabic. Um, you know, and, Eventually, what I would like is to actually work with other F1 super fans or experts around the world to help me, you know, localize the books, you know, for their home countries and make this a community project because I've had a lot of help along the way. You know, I'm not a I'm not an expert author. I'm not an expert on F1 by any means, but I've, you know, brought in people and fans and friends and experts to review and and it's been collaborative and i want to keep making it a collaborative project um and bringing all sorts of folks and getting feedback and and working together on it and you said your children helped you go through the alphabet and pick out the different words do they love the book as much as you do they love f1 as much as you yeah they i mean they were my guinea pigs for sure (laughs) Um, you know, reading is important to us. Um, and I wanted to make the book fun for them, fun for, you know, adults as well. Um, so they were super helpful. You know, they gave me feedback on on the, the designs and things like that. And yeah, they're fans. I mean, definitely my son is more into it for sure. Um, you know, he knows the drivers and, you know, he likes to play with cars and he pretends that the cars are different drivers and things like that. And, and he's definitely much more into it. My daughter is is into it not not as much um i did take them karting that was part of the kind of my uh, obsession as well so a week or two after we got back from the race in austin i took them both karting 
uh, with some friends of ours. And, you know, after some bouts of crying, they got into it, um, <laughs> you know, so I wanted to get them into driving and racing and all that. So, and I'm going to take them to the practices when the race is in Miami so they could see the cars up close. Um, but it, yeah, I think it's going to be a family affair from, from now on. We, we're all really into it. Um, and it's been really special to have my kids involved. Um, I actually read the book to my son's class, his kindergarten class. Um, the first kind of reading I did a few weeks ago, and that was so exciting. And he was so happy. Um, so it, it's really nice. It's nice to do something with the family and, uh, and that makes it even better, you know? Yeah. Well, I was, when I was looking on your website and that it, it does really appeal to kids and adults as well. It's not just for children. It's for the adults to have fun. And I know you said like with the zone out effect, when you're mm -hmm. reading a bedtime story to your kids, sometimes you can just zone out and just read the words, but not actually pay attention. So it's great to see that this book has that effect of not having the adult zone out and actually pay attention to it. Yeah, yeah. That was so important for me because, you know, I read so many kids' book and sometimes I... It, I just like realize that, you know, I totally zone out. And then at the end of the book, I'm like, wait, what, I, was I actually reading? Um, and I wanted it to be fun for the adults too. And that's why that was a key thing going in um, for sure. And I, I see it as something like a read with your kids type book um, because it's about sharing a passion. And, and I've already had so much feedback about, this is the perfect book for my son or daughter. I love racing and this is going to get them into racing. And that's what I want. I, I really want this to be like something that the families can get into and, you know, great for the sport overall to get more families involved and get them in at an earlier age, because it's harder to do that in the U S there's a lot of more televised sports than formula one. It's not as big as in Europe, you know, in other places. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned, because this one, as you said, is nonfiction and ABCs, but you are hoping to extend the series as well. Will the following books be more fiction and focus on the stories of Roxy the Engineer and Red Racer? So the immediate next book is going to be a deeper dive into the cars. Um, so getting into the more of the STEM and the science behind um, all the technology that goes into the cars, all the components, you know, the, from the engines, tires, aerodynamics, um, you know, I actually got a little backed up because I, I forgot about ground effects, which is something that is new. I didn't realize how important that would be until we saw it in testing. Um, so I had to add a couple pages for ground effects. Um, but, you know, the next book is, you know, it's already pretty much done. It's just in the illustration process now. And I wanted to make it about these new cars because there isn't a lot of uh, family friendly content about the new cars. So I wanted to make it about that. Um, and, you know, Roxy represents a lot of the STEM and the engineering side and uh, Red Racer is more of the uh, of the, the fast pace and the facts about the history of F1 and things like that. Um, but I do want to expand into fiction um, because I see motorsports as an amazing platform to teach kids um, so many important things, competition, sportsmanship, uh, teamwork. Uh, there's just so much, um, you know, and, you know, fiction will allow us to tell those stories more. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of 
there's tons of nonfiction content that we can create. Um, it's such a rich history, a rich sport. And I do want to expand to other motor racing leagues as well. Uh, IndyCar, Rally, uh, et cetera. There's just so many cool sports out there. And a lot of great, you know, racers and ca characters across all the different, you know, sporting leagues. Um, but yeah, first, uh, will be a fact book, and then we're going to transition into more fiction books. Um, it all really depends on how it gets received, you know. So far, I've, I've had great feedback, um, but let's, you know, I want to see what happens. And, you know, my plan is to turn this from a part-time job, side hustle, into a full-time career. And, I, and I'd really love to roll out a whole series of, of Red Racer books with the characters. Um, you know, um, that, that's my goal. Well, this is ABCs of racing is just the beginning. I can imagine you will soar with it all. And it's great. Like you said, it is, motorsport is a platform where you can teach kids lots of things. And with the STEM side, I mean, I'm turning 21 this year. And when I read about the technical side of motorsport, I still get confused with some of it. So it is good to have that out there for kids to comprehend in a way that's easy to comprehend and understand it. Exactly. And yeah. I think, um, you know, when kids think about careers and they think about racing, they assume you have to be a driver. But the reality is there's so much more, so many more jobs and careers around racing that most people don't even know about. You know, when I grew up, you know, I loved driving and, and racing, but I, you know, I didn't know that there's all these other components as engineers, huge teams of people working behind the scenes. So I wanted to shine a little light on that. And, and, you know, like you said, the STEM part is a big component of it. And it's uh, motorsports is an easy way in um, to teach kids and get them excited about it because they love cars. So, you know, <laughs> it's a good fit. Yeah. So my last question is, how soon can I buy a copy? Because I would love to have this. Yeah. So um, you can pre-order one right now. Um, so... I started on Kickstarter because I'm self-published. It's a great launch pad to get a feel for the demand out there and, and help with kind of some of those upfront costs. So right now it's on Kickstarter until the 27th. And basically that is a pre-order because we've reached our funding goal. Um, thanks to all my backers. Um, <laughs> we've reached our funding goal um, and you can pre-order a book. Um, they're being printed right now. Um, they're actually going to be shipping the first week of April or so. So if you pre-order, you'll get one mid uh, mid to late April, basically. As soon as the Kickstarter ends, I'm going to start selling them direct um, from our website, redracerbooks.com. Um, and eventually I'll get them onto Amazon as well. Um, so to make it easier for everyone to get it. Um, but yeah, it, it, they're available now for pre-orders. Um, redracerkickstarter.com is where you can go. Um, but, um, you know... Uh, and also feel free to check out our social channels because that's a big part of the community is, is what I, uh, I really fell in love with. F1 help, you know, that group chat and all the people I've met. It's a really strong community and, and you guys getting to speak to you guys. This is an amazing opportunity. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, I'm excited about the books. I'm excited about the potential. I'm really grateful to you, Abby, for having me on and, and Ali as well. And um, yeah, I hope you check it out. And we're shipping internationally. So um, we've already had a lot of orders out of the UK. Um, and I'm actually working with some, some designers out of the UK for book two to help me format the book 
as it's a picture uh, book as well. Um, so yeah, I want to make this a worldwide thing. That's my goal. And um, thank you again for having me. Well, thank you for being here today and talking about Red Racer books because it is an amazing product and every most sport fan out there with kids, if you're planning to have kids, even if you don't have kids, you should definitely buy it because it is definitely one of those things that you will need if you're a motorsport fan. So thank you for being here today, Andy. Thanks so much, Abby. I had a blast. <laughs> and remember, guys, to check out redracerbooks.com and all the socials and YouTube as well. So I think that is about all we have time for. Uh, the only other piece of news that I have to deliver is that this will be my last episode uh, for News from the Nerds. So I just wanted to say a big thank you uh, to you guys. It's been an absolute blast. Uh, and I wish you all the best for the future. Uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be, it won't be the same without you, Bridge. We are going to have to source hot takes from from elsewhere. I mean, maybe we'll I'll, just keep an eye on your Twitter. I'll be on standby I'll, on Twitter, don't you worry. James, I'll, I'll, I'll step up. <laughs> yes, okay. so, so I've, already sta- I've already started with my... Uh, with my and wavering support of uh, <laughs> yeah. Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> of course, to get all the latest and greatest F1 news, head over to our website at formulanerds.com. Follow us on Twitter. I know super producer Rich does a great job at keeping everyone up to date on the latest motorsport news. And finally, make sure to listen to the Cuts of the Race podcast with Ollie after this weekend's Grand Prix on Sunday. That's all for now. And these guys will see you next week. See you later. And everyone, be sure to keep it 100. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.